Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. I'm Brandon Adams. Happy to have the entire Dog Nation team. Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley on hand here. Certainly not the conversation I'd planned on us having this evening and certainly not a conversation the Georgia fans want to be having either. Obviously, uh, very troubling news coming out here over the course of the last couple hours, really throughout the afternoon. It's, it was very uh, unusual day on the UGA theme internet with a lot of people bracing for what seemed like bad news. There have been a lot of stuff kind of rumor mill. Sometimes rumors don't come to fruition. Other times they do. Some Georgia fans jokingly saying the bad rumors always come true. The good ones oftentimes don't, but one way or another, uh, Adam Anderson dealing with a very serious situation. Now, Mike, let me turn to you and for people who are just getting home from work or just getting done with dinner and, um, you know, just kind of wrapping their heads around this. When it comes to the allegation that's that's facing Anderson, the subsequent su- suspension that he's now dealing with because of that are probably a first step on probably a long process for him one way or another. Give us the facts as we understand them, and then we'll start filling in some opinions after that. But, but um, what is the latest? Wrapping their heads around. Yeah, B.A., there, there hasn't been an arrest made at this time. There's an ongoing investigation into this right now involving Adam Anderson, uh, about an incident that allegedly occurred in the early morning hours of Friday, the day the team traveled to Jacksonville. Of course, Adam was one of the four game captains. He played in the game. He had seven tackles and a sack. I mean, a kid with a, uh, you know, a great NFL future on tap, uh, projected first-round pick. Uh, according to the police report from the athens Clark County uh, Police Department, um, the alleged victim came to the Eastside Police Department wanting to file the statement that uh, between 12 a.m. and 7 a.m., she awoke uh, to an alleged incident with Adam Anderson that that was not of her consent. Um, That that is what's in the report. Dog Nation, we have the complete, uh, all the details from the report are in there outside of the Eastside Athens address uh, where this allegedly occurred. Uh, Again, this happened on uh, late Thursday night, early Friday morning between 12 a.m., 7 a.m., Georgia left for uh, Jacksonville later that day. Anderson played in the game, one of the four game captains. And uh, Kirby Smart recently releasing uh, a statement that there's a a high standard for this. Uh, ESPN reporting uh, suspended indefinitely, but I think we could could probably draw that conclusion. It would be awful hard for any program uh, to play uh, a player accused of something of this level of severity. It will probably take time for this thing to play out. So, uh, you know, reading the tea leaves here, we've probably seen the last of Adam Anderson in a Georgia football uniform based on that report and based on uh, the history, uh, the prior order of events that typically occurs after this sort of accusation. Connor, from a factual standpoint, is there anything else you want to add to what uh, Mike had to say there? No, Mike hit it all on the head right there as far as what we know at this point in time with regards to Adam Anderson. He has very likely played his final down for Georgia football. That is not as of yet a fact, but just given the gravity of this situation, it very much seems like that will have to be the case. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, parallel to whatever decision the football program would make, he's also a student at the University of Georgia, and they're going to have their own process and procedure through the Title IX things. And, you know, and, and things along, uh, you know, that line. So, you know, there's a lot of complications for Anderson here beyond potentially just the criminal charges, Jeff, or uh, if those do indeed come, which they have not come as of yet. Jeff, obviously, Anderson's a guy that you've known for a long time. I remember you covering him back when he was still at Rome High School. And it was obvious it was, you know, we spent some time around Rome High School a little early this year as part of our, uh, our high school football uh, weekly game and, you know, talking to the folks there about Anderson was so obvious early in his high school career. 
that he was going to be a special player. And he has turned out to be a lot what you would have assumed he would have been very early on in his high school career. And obviously, this is the kind of thing that you, know, you just never want to have to talk about in relationship to a guy like that who's beloved in that Northwest Georgia community, beloved by Georgia fans, but unfortunately a different side of Anderson potentially emerging because of these allegations. What's your uh, initial reaction to all this? I think it's just a very tough story. I think a lot of folks are trying to wonder what it means for Georgia football and what it means for this special season. But this is just something you just got to conceptualize and kind of set it off to the side. I mean, what, what these allegations are are very serious crimes in our society. Uh, and you can sit there and, you know, I, I know so many terrific stories about Adam Anderson, things that don't fit with the narrative that are out there today. Uh, he was a young man that would walk six, seven miles to church on Easter Sunday to thank the, to, to pay respect to his blessings. He has a 500 word sign language vocabulary. He's got a younger brother that's, uh, you know, that's deaf and he had to learn sign language. And again, this is another incident off the field where this is a young man that um, I can't I know pretty well during his high school days. And I can remember the words of his high school coach saying he was a, as good a citizen as they had at Rome high school, uh, that type of worker, that type of leader, and now you see something, these charges like this that should be taken um, as seriously as possible. And I think a lot of folks jumping to, you know, whatever they want, they, their mind goes to. I just can't think of this in terms of a season and a pass rush or anything else like this. I think this is a very serious crime in our society. And you have two families, uh, two situations there that are gravely affected by these charges. And obviously, you know, we do have football fans watching. I think eventually you got to cover this from a football standpoint. But as you're right, at first, this is a story about human beings and, you know, a horrible thing that's been alleged to occur. And I saw Nate Smalls and other asking the question of, well, what happened to innocent until proven guilty? And I do think that's a fair question to ask of, well, why is it that he would be immediately suspended when the charges are playing their way out? And I guess the simplest way I can answer that is, anybody else can follow up on this if they want to, but the simplest way I can answer that is, is that you know football programs and big institutions have just decided that there's too much of a risk associated with lending your cred credibility to someone who might be guilty of this. If I was facing the same charge, I promise you I'm not hosting Dog Nation Daily tomorrow. I have a legal right to face my accuser and, and, and tell my side of the story in court, at least in the criminal court I do. I have a legal right to do all that kind of stuff. But you know, unfortunately, outside the boundaries of the courtroom, you know, the 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 law is not what determines things. It's the, it's the court of public opinion. And Georgia football is not going to lend its credibility to Anderson at risk of the fact that Anderson might have indeed done what the report is investigating, whether or not he, he might have done. And, you know, in this particular instance, Georgia is just not going to be any different than any other football team or entity right now. These kinds of things are going to be taken very seriously. And there's just too much risk associated with putting a guy back on the field who might have done something truly heinous. Look at the trouble that Ed Ogeron and Les Miles got into with regards to some of the Title IX stuff in their time at LSU. Georgia absolutely cannot, under any circumstances, while this is being investigated, play Adam Anderson under any without any shred of doubt. There's still obviously a long way to go with regards to this investigation, and that has been made abundantly clear. But Georgia, in, in our in where we are as a society today, we cannot mess around with allegations of this veracity. And so Georgia is absolutely, in my opinion, making the right decision in suspending Adam Anderson. 
Travis McCullough says it all could be false. And obviously, as someone who has known Anderson, I, I hope that we find out this all is some you know horrible, terrible misunderstanding. If that be the case, and Anderson is going to have a chance to go and further his football career somewhere else. And I'm a big believer in second chances and the opportunity to do that. But in this particular situation here at UGA, I don't think there's any choice but to act in the way that it seems that George is acting right now. And, you know, Mike, I think it's interesting the comparison that Connor brings up is because, you know, there are people who thought other schools have maybe gone too lightly or disregarded too much. Some of the things that may have brought up against players in the past and, this is one of those things where, and Mike, I know you're with him all the time in press conferences and you've seen him work and you know people who've obviously been even closer to him than that. But this is where I, I do think that you feel good about having a guy like Kirby Smart leading your program that you know, he's not some meathead that's only going to think football, football, football and accidentally trip up and make the kind of decision that brings embarrassment to him and embarrassment to his employer, embarrassment to the university and the state, that he's the kind of, he's the kind of guy that's going to be appropriately careful in, in something like this. I don't have any indication that smart would be any way other than that. I mean, lesser things like the COVID deal from a year ago or some of the other things that pop up smart seems to be pretty well versed at how to say the right thing, or certainly how to avoid saying the wrong thing and, and how to steer this program towards its ultimate goal at the end of the season on the field without doing the kind of thing that would bring shame off the field. I think this is where those, one of those moments where Georgia fans ought to be glad they got a guy like smart, who there's no there's no playbook there's no manual for how you handle these situations but smart's instincts on this i would say seem to be pretty good usually well i think everybody on the georgia football team knows they have a responsibility uh, to their teammates and to themselves and that there is a different level of accountability when you're a georgia football player uh, you are a public figure and it, it is a it is your responsibility to avoid um, you know potentially dangerous situations and uh, you know, you have to really be careful uh, about the situations that you put yourself in. Um, you know, you know, and I, I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, this is still under investigation. There hasn't been an arrest at this time. Right now, it is just that an allegation. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, if there's one thing that that Adam did do was put himself in a precarious situation, um, you know, at the very least. And, and, and again, I don't know the details. I'm not convicting or, or saying that he's innocent. I don't know. What we do know is that there's a police report uh, that a 21-year-old female uh, went to the East Athens Police Department at 9 a.m. the morning after and wanted to file a report. That's what we do know. Uh, we don't know Adam's side of the story. He'll, as you said, B.A., have his day in court. We do know that Kirby Smart is a no-nonsense guy that's not going to – uh, put Georgia at risk as a program. Um, and there is a great deal of, of liability if you were to play a player accused of a crime and he's later found guilty, then um, there, there would be some pretty serious Title IX consequences that go along with that. So it, it puts Georgia in, in, in really a situation where Kirby doesn't have uh, much of a choice in this matter. Uh, Jeff, Corey Williams bring up the fact that this happens right before the team leaves for Jacksonville and and this is one of those things where whatever occurred here obviously was an unpleasant night for someone. And, you know, this is one of those things where, uh, at the very least, of course, this is one of those things where, you know, I just think, you know, coaches and, you know, those who work around football programs, and this is their greatest fear of what happens in those moments in which, you know, they don't have that opportunity to have oversight over the player. They don't have that opportunity to have, 
you know, control over the program. I'm talking about the players in the program, that there is going to be downtime in which the players are responsible, you know, for their own behavior. And we don't know what happened here. We, we, we don't. Uh, and um, we may get a, uh, a clean resolution on this one way or another. We, we may be left to wonder about this forever. We may never get a, a clean resolution on this for any number of reasons. But at, at the very least, um, it is one of those things that brings up the fact that, you know, as a coach, as a, as a leader of men, you do everything you can, and then you let guys have to take their own agency once they walk out of that football building here. And, and you know, in this particular case, it, it's certainly uh, just, just troubling to think what happened after that. Yeah, yeah, this is a situation where I, I guess I, you know, I, I see all the comments, I see all the frustration, uh, you know, a couple of things folks need to know is we do this show at 730 every Thursday night, especially during the season for the nation's number one team. And we certainly had a, a tremendous amount of stuff to, to talk about football with Adam Anderson. And but when you have breaking news like this, you have uh, you have the news day news of the day. I don't know about you guys, but I've been hearing about this uh people have been texting this wondering about this sending messages uh for a good for a good time now so again I, I my mind just goes straight to this this is an investigation um you can't you can't put a player on the field in this day and age under an investigation and adam's going to get his chance to, to to see whether or not these charges are valid uh the accuser will also this is a situation to me I don't care what you're ranked. I don't care what, what what gravity it is towards Georgia's pass rush or its future in the playoffs. Something a lot more important than a football game and football players here. And the one thing that also comes to my mind is the Georgia football team, I know, has a seminar every year, a very impactful seminar every year, going over continuing education about putting yourselves in this situation and removing yourselves from this situation because it's something that happened. It's happened across a lot of college campuses over the last four or five years. And that's something that these players have gotten a great deal of instruction and insight about, about the proper way to handle themselves in these situations. You know, it's a, uh, it's an awkward transition to even think about football in a situation like this, Connor, but Georgia does have a football game to play on Saturday. And, you know, I mean, how do they pick up the pieces now and, as a team, get back to the business of football. Obviously, for Anderson, now it'll, it'll be a long time before he, he's ever able to, to turn his attention back to that sport again, uh, you know, one way or another uh, as this investigation plays out. But for the team itself, how do you turn your attention back to a game on Saturday with obviously, you know, a guy that you've been very close to now, now facing a very serious situation, whether it results in charges or not? Yeah, obviously this puts, you know, an onus on this team as a whole. They're going to have to potentially answer questions about Adam Anderson and their care and what they know of him as this investigation looms and lingers. As far as an on-field impact, I mean, Georgia does not have an exact replacement of Adam Anderson and his skill set. He is a truly unique talent. That's why many have him pegged as a potential or had him pegged, I should say, as a first-round draft. Georgia's, I think, best pass rusher off the edge there. Now, Nolan Smith can pitch in there. They can get creative with that defensive line and move things around there. I think you could potentially see Quay Walker move out and play some Sam there as well. But in terms of the pure pass rushing aspect, no one was better on this team than Adam Anderson. He led the team in sacks for a reason. And so Georgia will have to find a way to replace that. Yeah, and, you know, Mike, it's also one of those things where, you know, Georgia, for a number of reasons, is also a little thinner at the defensive back spot than they've been before. So you would think, well, we saw a lot in 2020. Georgia sometimes only play with one outside linebacker on the field. But in a situation like this, Georgia has 
probably fewer bigger defensive backs than they've had in the program before. So the idea that you just slide a bigger DB into that star role and kind of play with just the one outside linebacker with obviously Anderson, you know, away from the team at least for a while due to a suspension, you know, that's not quite as much of an option because they don't have a ton of depth at the, at the, the defensive secondary spot right now, at least in terms of veteran players who've had a lot of experience and also would have the size to potentially pitch in a situation like that. Yeah, Kirby had told us a couple weeks ago that that they had kind of turned Adam in the direction to do what he does best, which is rush the passer, because I had asked him about that star role. It doesn't sound like they'd really been going with that. It sounds like Georgia started to go with more of the a, a zone. We've seen him play a little bit more of that uh, safe back in the defensive backfield because of the weaknesses at the corners. You're seeing more zone coverage. You're seeing softer pass coverage, and, and obviously – quarterbacks are struggling uh, to find the time to get the pass off that the pass rush lanes are, are being disrupted. The pockets getting moved by the, you know, the ferocity of the, the front four or front three, depending on the alignment. So uh, again, there isn't another Adam Anderson. There's, there's, you know, Adam was a, was a freak, uh, an athletic Marvel, six, uh, five, two with four, four, seven speed faster than any of the Georgia running backs at the combine last summer at the team combine. So uh, a very special play and a team leader. Again, this is a guy that Kirby Smart chose to be a team captain last week for the Florida game. And Mm that makes it all the more uh, puzzling and and disappointing uh, that that a situation like this, uh, again, I don't know what happened, but just the fact that there's a situation on the night before the game, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put into uh, perspective uh, it's just very abrupt, BA. But yeah. but your point, I, I don't think that I, I would guess maybe Robert Beal could bring a little bit off the edge. But there's there's not another Adam Anderson on this football team. He's a very very special player. Uh, Chris Connor brings up the name MJ Sherman. Um, you know, is there a chance? I guess through all of this, Jeff, that maybe you know Sherman gets a chance to to be on the field a little bit more now. I think the natural progression here is you would probably move. I think Connor said it first is you would move Quay Walker over to that, over to that um, outside edge position. You're probably going to just see a lot more reps for Nolan Smith, kind of the lion's share of reps that Aziz Ojolari got in the 2020 season. Uh, I think it would move maybe perhaps a, a guy like Jamon Dumas Johnson up into some of those reps that Quay uh, Walker might have been getting a younger player uh, into the inside linebacker spot. What Georgia's going to try to do is try to get their best players, their best mix of players up there, the ones that really understand the scheme. Um, I, I would say that Robert Beal is another guy, folks. Quietly, I think one of the most uh, unassuming, but one of the better low-key stories on the team, along with a guy like Dan Jackson, would be Robert Beal. I don't think Robert Beal recorded any stats last year during a COVID 2020. Uh, he put his name in the transfer portal. He put his name out of the transfer portal. I think he led the team in tackles. Uh, for a game earlier this year, was making a lot of hurries. I think he had as many quarterback pressures as anybody on the Georgia team through six or seven games, not named Adam Anderson. Um, Beal's a guy, All-American, top five outside linebacker prospect in the 2017 cycle. Um, he's certainly a grown man now, well over the age of 21. So I think those are the personnel pieces that you sit there and go, minus Anderson, what does Georgia look like now? And I think the quickest remedy there is I got to go back to it. You just see a lot more Nolan Smith. If we assume, Connor, this story remains unresolved for at least a few weeks, which is maybe a safe assumption, maybe it's not. But just for the sake of conversation, we assume the 
Anderson's story remains unresolved. What's a bigger potential issue for UGA, replacing Anderson's production on the field or dealing with uh, the distraction of a guy these players know very well going through um, a very challenging situation? What's the bigger issue for UGA, the potential distraction or the, the, the tangible physical need to replace him on the football field? I mean, in, in suspending him, you would think you remove that uh, that potential distraction there. Obviously, there'll be you know a handful of questions asked about it shortly, but that's what the suspension sort of does. It distances Adam Adam Anderson from the team. So to answer your question, I would probably say the on field production. We look we look at this Georgia defense this year, and it's better at pressuring the quarterback than it has in years past. And if Georgia does end up playing Alabama in the SEC championship game or an Ohio State in the college football playoff, if Georgia's going to win those games, they're going to need to pressure the opposing quarterback and statistically speaking nobody did that better than adam anderson so assuming mark schlebaugh's report from espn is in fact correct that adam anderson has been indefinitely suspended uh, i think that distances anderson and georgia from each other at this point in time in regards to the situation and so the on-field impact is probably greater than the distraction of anderson jay shipes brings up situation in the past like the duke lacrosse case that turned out to be a false allegation and he says hey you got to be careful think about that situation right there Here's what I'm going to say about that. On a show like this, no one is saying that Anderson is, is is guilty. You've heard us use the word allegation over and over and over again. No one's saying that, but simultaneous to no one, no one describing him as guilty, no one convicting him here before all the facts have come out, simultaneous to all of that, he also just simply can't play while this is working its way through the – system where you know whether it results in a charge or whether it you know the investigation ends whatever else while this is unresolved it's just simply not a thing that he's i I think going to be able to play for georgia i I just think that's uh, just a very challenging situation unless there's some sort of quick resolution which maybe it's a possibility and uh maybe isn't uh mike to go back to the the on-field part of this here for a moment you know for every player issue that georgia's dealt with whether it be traditional things like an injury to George Pickens or less traditional things like what's going on now that Adam Anderson, my response to almost all of them has been that none of these individual absences or departures, I think changes Georgia's end of season goals. Frankly, I don't think that Georgia's chances of actually winning a championship, at least in the basis of just this one issue in in a vacuum are all that greatly reduced. Even if Anderson doesn't play another down again for Georgia yet this year, I don't think it changes the, 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 the likelihood of achieving those goals all that much, but admittedly you start thinking about this in some total of everything else that's gone on the, the long list of players who are injured. A lot of that's on the offensive side of the ball, but some of it's been defensively there too. And at a certain point in time, does it just become too much where you're dealing with too many personnel issues and that while individually, none of them upend you, it's death by a thousand cuts or something along the, along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see the concern for that, um, you know, talking again in, in the football sense of this. And again, I, I, I don't want to um, do anything to belie the, the seriousness or the sensitivity of the charges. But uh, as you mentioned, B.A., it is there's a football element to this and the team that's ranked number one. And and we do look at the depth chart to see how the, the team uh, deals with it on the field. That's part of the story, obviously. And, um, you know, to your point, I, I think Georgia could sustain the, uh, the absence of Adam as a player on the field probably easier than they're, they're going to sustain the absence of him as a leader, part of the chemistry. 
you know, there's a guy that's stuck around for a senior year that waited to have this marquee season. Adam Anderson invested a lot of time and patience in waiting to have this kind of year. Remember, he had the lofty goal of 20 sacks. Well, he's only got five, but he's certainly been effective. Um, but if there is a position where Georgia has tremendous depth, it is in the linebacker core. And there are other players that can step up. And let's also remember that Georgia can score more points on offense, too. They're a quarterback change away from becoming more dynamic at some point. I don't know when. I don't know if it's Missouri or Charleston Southern or Tennessee or or what. But uh, eventually, I think you're going to see JT back under center and scoring a lot more points. So uh, this team is loaded with talent. It's loaded with drive. There's been great chemistry. Uh, this is some pretty serious adversity from the standpoint of leadership. Again, this is a this is a guy that that Kirby wanted to be a team captain for Florida. So th- this is a real gut punch, I think, to the heart and chemistry of the football team. Jeff, uh, we'll get ready to you know move on from this topic here in a moment. But you know, Mike does bring up the idea of leadership, and if you're thinking about Georgia trying to move on from this while it remains unresolved i mean you know leaning on those guys that can you know just help make sure everybody's in a good headspace to move on the rest of the season that's obviously going to be really important that 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 georgia plug back into that that player-led vibe that georgia seems to create there's only so much a coach going to be able to do here but peers leaning on each other players leaning on each other to to make sure they're in the right right frame of mind moving forward um that's obviously going to be really really important yeah, I think where my head goes while we're just conceptualizing the football team and the scheme and how Georgia moves on. I mean, I think Mike touched on the right notes here that these are serious charges. These are sensitive charges. And I think we've did a good job of uh, covering the, the responsible way to kind of talk about this stuff. But for me, I just see a Georgia football team that can kind of can kind of figure it out. And I don't think this is a damning blow or a damaging blow to what Georgia can do on the field. Maybe they're not as – they're definitely not going to be as terrific as a pass rushing element. They're not going to be as nasty on defense without their best pass rusher. But I see a Georgia team this year that has went without a lot of highly draftable, uh, incredible first-round tight talents already. Uh, what they've managed to do, quarterback position, wide receiver position, across the offensive line, uh, I think this is a Georgia team that has shown – that they can persevere through adversity. And the one thing I above anybody should be able to, to talk about this on this show tonight is there are players behind them that are very talented. The recruiting is there. The depth is there. Yeah, maybe Georgia won't be the same uh, first-round uh, edge rusher type talent with Adam Anderson because he was a special football player on the field. But I think the pieces are still in place where Georgia can still uh, chase down a lot of their goals for this season. Maybe it just has to look a little bit differently now. And, you know, Connor, I guess my final thought on this is, is this, is that the one thing I just can't get over here is just the overwhelming sense of sadness I have about the entire thing. And I think it's possible to be sad about this without knowing all the facts that have taken place here that, you know, clearly, you know, a serious accusation has been leveled. And, you know, I, I just hate that. And, um you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just the one thing I can't shake here is that, you know, um, a, a young lady is has stepped up to say that she feels like that she's been harmed. And, you know, if Anderson did this, he wasn't born wanting to do this. Uh, it's something that, 
has happened for him. I feel like you can be sad about that part of it too. I just think that just the whole thing is just for me, just incredibly, incredibly sad. You keep hoping and waiting that somehow there'll be this magical resolution to this that ends up leaving everyone understanding it to be a great big misunderstanding or something like that. Oftentimes in life, most times in life, things don't quite come together in quite such a tidy fashion. But just the one thing you just can't escape, at least I can't escape, is the fact that this conversation is one that even needs to be had tonight. It, it just leaves me with just an incredible sense of sadness to even have to have to be addressing it. Yeah, I can tell you nobody here wanted to be up here talking about these allegations and the seriousness of them and what they mean. But unfortunately, this is something that has happened and will be dealt with going forward. And the Georgia team is going to have to adjust to this. And Adam Anderson is obviously going to have to wait and see how this plays out in the legal proceedings going forward. But this is not something that I think anyone anticipated or would even in the slightest sense want to be talking about with regards to the number one team in the country. Yeah, and I, I just say that, you know, my invitation to everyone is to pray for the young lady, pray for pray for Adam, pray for really just college kids all across these campuses right now. Just, you know, just just pray. I don't know what to pray, but uh, pray for something, I guess. Um, so awkward transition. We'll try to move on and talk about something else because obviously Georgia does play a, a game on Saturday against Missouri. It was already a game in which I think folks were curious what to see from UGA based on some of the mystery and intrigue added by the Florida game a week ago. Mike talked quarterback uh, a, a moment ago, and I guess, Mike, since you brought that up, it seems like as good a time as any to, to kind of, you know, uh, move on to something new. What do you expect to happen at quarterback on Saturday? Yeah, I, I, expect, a, I expect JT to play on Saturday. I'm not sure to, to what extent or, or what the circumstances are, but – uh, you know, Kirby didn't give us much to work with and, and probably good that he didn't. Uh, I know the week before he made some comments that I think were, were probably taken out of context. Uh, you know, Which Stetson, ones were those? Uh, when he said that JT hasn't done anything that Stetson can't do or so, something to that effect. Somehow I just I, I think that, you know, this week Kirby might have cleared that up when he said that, uh, you know, Stetson uh, ability to run was a separator, but there were things that JT did better than Stetson as well. Uh, where he did elaborate with us was to say that decision-making was going to be very important. Um, he said anybody can take the snap and make the run reads. I'm paraphrasing now. Um, he said, but it's the decisions you make with the ball in your hands. And I think we all saw Stetson throw a couple of passes that most high schoolers could throw the ball better on two interceptions downfield. The arc was unbelievably high. Um, the Florida defenders were camped out under it. It just it wasn't in line with the performances that we'd seen from Stetson of late. You know, I, I watched uh, Connor in coverage Tuesday night, and uh, Connor mentioned that there had been some other throws in games that that Stetson had gotten away with that weren't intercepted. These two were. I think Kirby takes note of that. I think he allows players to play and earn their time on the field. Um, I certainly think he's given Stetson uh, every opportunity uh, as a quarterback. But when you make throws like that in a game of that magnitude, uh, unnecessarily, uh, the intentional grounding, he was particularly perturbed about that on a third and one. Uh, Georgia had already decided if it was an incomplete pass, they were going to go for it on fourth and one. Uh, but because of the poor judgment on the intentional grounding, uh, they were not only not able to go for it, but they missed a long field goal that would have given them an early lead. So 
there were three serious mistakes by Stetson. Now, he also made good plays. Uh, his 20-yard scramble was remarkable. Uh, a couple of other times he was able to buy enough time to complete passes. But when Kirby starts talking about decision-making being a big part of the decision, that lends itself to JT Daniels with his high third-down conversion rate uh, and uh, his ability uh, to make uh, good judgment calls at the line of scrimmage. Now, I don't know if that means there's a change in starter, Brandon. I, I don't even know, uh, you know what the roles might be. You know, who knows? Uh, Carson Beck may get to play in this game. You never know. Brock Vandergriff. Um, I'm not sure how it plays out, but Kirby went into detail on that too. He said, hey, we go into games with a plan on who's going to play. And then he said they also address it in-game. Um I wonder if there was any talk on the headset before that 21 to zero burst that, you know, was JT going to come in if it was three to zero at halftime? Uh, we'll never know. Uh, but from all indications, from what Kirby's telling us, again, this isn't, this isn't the media manufacturing this folks. This is what the head coach is telling us. JT is healthy and both quarterbacks look very good in practice. That's what the head coach is telling us. And based on the head coach telling us that, and telling us that judgment's very important, that leads me to believe that JT may get an opportunity to play again now that he's healthy, as Kirby's told us. So, Connor, I've made it pretty clear that I believe that the best version of Georgia probably includes JT Daniels at quarterback. But I also talked about this on my show today that, you know, Georgia's only one of two teams in the country to have a top 10 offensive and defensive efficiency, according to the ESPN FPI. And Georgia's actually – and the other team, Alabama, they're both in the top five there as well. Georgia's fourth in ESPN FBI right now in offensive efficiency. They're third in the SEC in points scored per game. They're actually third in the SEC in yards per play offensively. They're ahead of Ole Miss in that category. And we think of, you know, Lane Kiffin and, and, and Matt Crow being this really high-powered offense, but on a per-play basis, Georgia's actually been better thus far this season. So my point in all of this is, even though I'm someone who thinks, well, if you're going to play Alabama in December, you probably need JT Daniels to win that game. I mean, is there a chance that we're just being too hard on Bennett? I mean, yeah, he had a bad game on Saturday, but, I mean, most every team in the country would take the statistical profile I just described for you. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Stetson to watch going forward is whether or not those quote-unquote intercept, interceptable passes are there. They weren't against Auburn. He was flawless against Auburn, an Auburn team that is a top 15 in the team in the country right now and could possibly be top 10 if they are able to beat Texas A&M this week. And that was on the road. That was an impressive performance that day for Stetson Bennett. I do think it speaks to the the numbers that you just listed there. I think it speaks to the job Todd Munkin has done this year. Mm-hmm. He's done a great job crafting an offense regardless of who the quarterback is. And I expect him to be able to do that, whether it be JT Daniels or, it, in fact, be Stetson Bennett. I will say one thing. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever played NCAA football, but I was pretty good back in my day. And sometimes I'd get bored. And one of the things I one time tried to do was win a game by only running the football and never never throwing the ball and seeing yeah. if I could win and figure and, and do that. I think Georgia could do that on Saturday. This is the worst rush defense in the country based on yards allowed per game in Missouri. Uh, Zamir White, I thought, had an outstanding game, maybe the best game of his career this past week against Florida. And I I think his emergence as well there sort of helps Stetson Bennett. I'd be interested to see how Zamir and this Georgia running game looks with JT under center there. But this game against Missouri, I I think it's going to be interesting because – 
it doesn't matter who Kirby plays a quarterback in this game. This Missouri team is that bad. But I think against Tennessee next week on the road up there, Tennessee has shown they can be a frisky opponent, at least for the first three quarters. And so I think at some point you, as Mike alluded to, you do need to see JT and what he can do for this offense. What do you think about all this, Jeff? So I think one of the things this show does well is we discuss a lot of things. We share viewpoints. We're all not going to agree with everything. I wanted to know how many of you guys saw the uh, comments that Aaron Murray made regarding the second ball that uh, Stetson Bennett threw on Saturday, the second interception. Um, I thought it was interesting. You know, Aaron's a guy that has been very outspoken and critical of Georgia and all all the all the subjects in his broadcast so far this season, trying to establish credibility, trying to maybe be very critical when his critical eye suggests it. He discussed that play that uh, Stead on, threw on the second ball. And I think we've gotten some of the right kernels right, where I think what Aaron said, and I think I'll defer to Aaron Murray's uh, position and status and experience playing quarterback in the SEC – he didn't, he didn't discount or he didn't dismiss the decision or the read. Aaron even said, he said, I probably would have thrown the same interception myself. Uh, the thing everybody wants to look to, though, is the ball, the interceptable ball. They wonder, I think some of, our, uh, some of the people on our conversation tonight that are commenting away, they've said that, that was a, the wind knocked it down. It was a highly interceptable ball. I think one of the things Georgia's coaches will do when they, when they look at Stetson and his body of work is they will address his decisions. Um, as, as well as they will address the plays and the throws and the actual um, athletic plays, whether that ball got there or not. Uh, so it was very interesting to see how a lot of people were really, you know, piling on Stetson about two terrible throws when you have perhaps the greatest all-time passer in Georgia history saying he probably would have thrown a pick on that second one as well just because of the read and how the safety and how the coverage and the double posts were lined up with what he was expecting to do and reading off the key of the safety right there. Um, I thought that was interesting. And maybe that's – I think we all bring up points where I think the thing I think the thing about Stetson in this debate – and. And what is it, guys? I think I think folks are probably it's not nails on chalkboard right now to hear the four of us talking about quarterbacks compared to the other topic that we let off the show with tonight. But I think the thing with Stetson, I just keep coming back to this is every time he goes out and plays the game, uh, maybe except the UAB game, I don't think folks are going to be satisfied uh, because to me, uh, he's done a whole lot, a whole lot when we talk about put the player in. And can he perform? Does he do Does he do what he can? Does he lead the team? Does he perform to the best of his ability? And I think on a great number of starts for the University of Georgia, Stetson has done that. Sure, great upside is there with JT. Maybe Georgia needs to probably roll up his sleeves and get more explosive on offense thanks to the personnel issues that this program will now have to face going forward. And JT is probably the likeliest remedy for that. Uh, I just thought it was interesting how a lot of folks that want to bury Stet uh, I thought what Aaron Murray had to bring to that discussion added something for me. Uh, John Whitmire, uh, Mike, brings up the point in the comments section that he says the ultimate measuring stick is not how many yards you throw for, how many total times you pass. He says it's the total number of points you score. And you know, going back to some of the statistics I gave a little earlier, I, I do think it's appropriate to have context here that while there's a decision that has to be made between Daniels and Bennett, it's appropriate to make the right decision the Georgia offensively right now is probably better. There's a chance it's better than at any point in time it's been in the Kirby Smart era. It's at least as good as it's been since 2018. May even be better than the uh, team that won the SEC offensively in 2017. That In this particular conversation, I, I do think it's appropriate to bring up 
that even with Bennett in the game, Georgia has been better offensively than it's almost ever been under Kirby Smart. Well, yeah, it has. Um, I, I, I guess I would be guilty of recency bias here. They had three points before the defense constructed three turnovers in two and a half minutes at the 11-yard line and the 36-yard line in a pick six. Mm-hmm. The game before against Kentucky, they had 14 points in the first half. This isn't an offense that's been firing on all cylinders, if we're going to be honest. Um, not of late. I would agree with Connor that I thought Stetson and the entire Georgia team uh, played really well at Auburn. You can go back and look at Kirby Smart's quotes, and he was very encouraged and excited about Stetson's performance against Auburn. But the last two games, not so much. The second half against Kentucky, they came out firing, uh, came out aggressive, throwing early. Uh, in the first half, they'd struggled, as we mentioned. But you uh, can't obsess over the first half numbers. Uh, Mike, Bennett's numbers were sensational against Kentucky. He averaged 11 yards per attempt. You can't, you can't obsess over first half numbers when the full game picture was sensational. Well, the reason I do that, B.A., is because so many people say that Georgia has a high run ratio because they're winning by so many points in the second half, and that wasn't the case against Kentucky. Um, he doesn't throw many passes. I mean, with Stetson Bennett starting, you average, I think, not quite 17 passes a game. And, and I don't know if that's the Georgia offense that you're looking for, but 17 passes a game to me doesn't seem very realistic to get through the college football playoffs with. It's a different team with Stetson. He's not a pass for his quarterback. He's now three of 21 converting on third down throws. Uh, now he's completed, uh, I want to say, 12 of those passes, but only three times have they gone for first down. I mean, we're talking about 15% when you're throwing on third down in SEC games. That's, that's, that's a horrific number. If you make Stetson Bennett pass, um, he's not going to beat you. He can beat you on first down and second down with the throws but not the third downs, according to the statistics in SEC games this year. So, Connor, once again, as someone who believes that Daniels is the guy that Georgia probably needs to circle back around to at some point in time, you know, once again, I've said this to my audience a few times here, that if I had the power to go back in time to August and say, hey, guess what? Georgia's receivers this year are going to be Ladd McConkey, A.D. Mitchell. Uh, your number one target's going to be a true freshman, Brock Bowers. These are the guys you're going to be throwing to. I think most of the people, even the ardent uh, you know, JT Daniels loyalists at the time would have said, well, I guess that means the passing number is going to be somewhat diminished this year if you're not going to have Pickens, Blaylock, you know, a lot of Burton, a lot of Rosemary Jackson, a lot of Arian Smith, and seemingly the list could go on and on. Add Kyrus Jackson to it there as well. So the discussion here has got to be about more than just, you know, what's happening at quarterback. It's also about what has happened at wide receiver with guys who are not healthy and the fact that Georgia – I mean, compare this to 2019 if you want to. That's the last time we had a full season. Georgia was struggling to score 21 points in SEC play that year. They beat up on, uh, you know, non-SEC opponents like Tech and uh, Arkansas State and teams like that. But they're, they're, they're barely getting 21 in SEC play uh, a lot that season. And even with the injuries to receiver and even with whatever may be going on quarterback, Georgia's finding a way to score points like a 37-point-per-game clip. And, yes, some of that's defense, and a lot of that, as you said before, is Todd Munkin. But I just think that's still appropriate context here that, that Georgia has dealt with more than just an injury to J.T. Daniels on the offensive side of the ball. And for the most part, that side of the ball has functioned, and it's functioned more smoothly than it almost ever has under Smart. 
Right, and I, and I think I'll be interested to see. It sounds like the Georgia receivers are getting healthier. Jermaine Burton, Arian Smith, you know, I, I don't know if we see George Pickens. Maybe a Dominic Blaylock is a maybe at this point in time, but it seems like that position is starting to get healthier. And, and you wonder if maybe you have a fuller cachet of receivers there, if, if that changes the calculus at all when it comes to this Georgia offense. Because I think Stetson Bennett has been incredibly effective with the weapons that he has had. And you can also, I think, fairly wonder if those guys were available all season, maybe Georgia does feel more comfortable throwing the ball every play, or not every play, but obviously more often than the, the times he has so far this year. So this Missouri game is going to be really an interesting test for me because quite frankly here, this Missouri team, especially if Connor Bazelak does not end up starting for this team, looks a lot like some of the FCS teams that we've seen that we'll see Georgia play later on uh, in their schedule with Charleston Southern. But Georgia can do some things it wants to in this game in terms of getting the gears going in terms of this passing offense once again. At the other hand, they could just run the ball, as I said earlier, and, and win this game convincingly. And Kirby Smart has shown this season that we're going to do what we need to win and we're not going to go five gears for a full four quarters. And so at some point, if you do think that JT is a guy that you can play, and I do think it was sort of somewhat telling that he didn't name Stetson Bennett the outright starter on Tuesday. I do think Stetson is going to start. But if you want to display a passing offense that looks capable of attacking downfield, I mean, yes, JT threw for 400 yards in the first game against Mississippi State in his first game against Mississippi State last season, but you'd probably like to develop some chemistry and at least have some confidence that you're able to do that before going into an SEC championship game and potentially a college football playoff as well. You know, Jeff, I don't really care if Daniels plays against Missouri on Saturday because as Connor pointed out accurately – I don't think the game's very intriguing one way or another. But I do want him playing before the SEC championship game if he's going to be the guy that Georgia turns to for that. I want to see him getting a rhythm. I want to see him getting in continuity. Frankly, and I'm speaking as a fan here for a moment, I want to make sure he's healthy. I mean, um, I didn't think he played very well against Clemson. His numbers were certainly, from a yards per uh, attempt standpoint, pretty low. And that's obviously a challenge for the Georgia offensive line that day. And, you know, there, there's a thousand things going on. It's, it's about more than just quarterback, but I didn't think his numbers were particularly good that day. And I'm still not 100% sure why he left the, the Vanderbilt game when he did. So part of me just wants to lay eyes on Daniels. I want to make sure, as I'm speaking once again as a fan, not a, I'm not certainly not a coach on this team, but I, I want to make sure that he's healthy. And I want to see that he is in rhythm and in sync with the guys that he would be playing with, whether it's uh, injured receivers coming back healthy or the, the guys who have been playing, kind of maintaining their status. I mean, this idea that Daniels is just going to kind of come back on the field like an NBA player who's been doing load management just sort of flip the switch. I don't, I don't think that's the way college football works. I think there has to be an on-ramp for him towards success if he's indeed going to have some. So if it's not Missouri, it's got to be soon. Otherwise, you start to wonder, you know, can he reasonably be expected to even play well if he were to be put into a game in the SEC championship? Yeah, I've got I've got a thinking, I, I, you know, this is me, you and Brandon. I seem like I felt like we talked about JT and Stett for 19 straight minutes after the game, the Florida game uh, at TIA Bank Field on Saturday. Here's some context. I, I will admit something. I don't know this. I know this is a day and age when everybody wants us to see us and listen to us spit hot fire like right there in my fireplace right now. But I think I think there was some really good kernels of truth when I think it was you that said, Brandon, that. Man, I don't know what JT would be doing with these receivers right now. I really don't. I don't know if he'd be looking like Maverick and Goose in the F-14 flying around uh, with this type of receivers. And that, that, that's something I need to see. Maybe the context of 
you know, JT gets into the gets into the game, starts moving around, and then what happens if his stat line sort of looks like a a Stetson Bennett stat line, or it looks very similar, and the third downs are not there? Um, I think I've had this discussion with Mike a bunch of times, not a bunch of times, but a couple of times. The way I put it into context is everybody has this vision of what JT Daniels will be at Georgia, and for me to sit there just looking at what we've seen so far in his Georgia career to say that you'll see, you'll see JT Daniels play at the peak of his ability for seven, eight, nine games in this season, just not there for me. And yet we see Stetson Bennett each and every week answering the bell and probably not winning a lot of beauty contests, even though uh, the results are there and they're coming as a win. Um, I just think that the possibility of JT getting in there looking like the magician he did against Mississippi state and this expectation that everybody has for him uh, I don't know if there's a likelihood there that he can do that game after game after game after game. And there's a part of me that just kind of looks at – I think we stumbled across this this way of thinking the other day, Brandon, is I kind of look as, look at look at JT Daniels as the closer on this Georgia season. And however many innings, which are games, that Georgia can get through with its defense and Stetson Bennett to finally get to the flamethrower, the heat coming out of the bullpen, JT Daniels elevating that offense. Maybe it's games – 12, 13, 14, and 15, maybe that's when it comes. But uh, that's kind of where I'm at with this. The one thing I kept struggling with is that the questions are there is, you know, why is why is JT not playing yet? Is he getting the reps in practice? Um, I don't think every discussion about JT Daniels versus Stetson Bennett does not have to be driving the driving Stetson through the through the mud with this. Mike, I'll be completely candid about one thing. Like when I hear Nolan Smith say what he said on Saturday, talking about, you know, him being his quarterback and that's my guy and, you know, all the stuff that he said, there is a part of me that's tempted just to say, all right, then just let him be quarterback. If that's the way the players and the best defense in the country feel about their guy, then just, then just let him go out there and do that. You know, um, it's not quite in my head what I think, but maybe in my heart, if that's what the defense wants, just let them have their guy. The problem, though, is, and, and this is where, you know, I'm probably a little bit more in alignment with you, is that when Kirby really has shown the most faith in Stets, in other words, playing him when JT's been healthy enough to play, boy, Stetson has a nasty habit of not rewarding him particularly well. You know, the interception against South Carolina, the Florida game this past week, when I think we're led to believe that JT could have played, he just didn't. Think about the best moments for Bennett. It's on the road at Arkansas a year ago when there was really no other option. It was the Auburn game, even to a degree the Tennessee game a year ago, when seemingly there just was no other option. Also, I guess the UAB game is kind of a thing there as well, where, hey, that day it was sort of Bennett or bust, and he knew the game belonged to him. You know, when Smart has shown the most confidence in Bennett, maybe echoing the confidence the rest of these Georgia players seem to have in him, you know, unfortunately, that's whether it's a coincidence or it's just the pressure of having Daniels, you know, over shoulder or whatever else. Unfortunately, those are the moments when we haven't really gotten the best of Bennett. If, if Bennett played as well um, Saturday as he's been playing before Daniels got healthy again, I don't know that this is such a relevant conversation. But uh, unfortunately, that's just not really quite been the way that he's played when we are led to believe that, that Daniels is healthy enough that he could have gone in, but he didn't play because of a coach's decision. Well, you know, I think Connor pointed out that before the Auburn game, there was dropped interceptions in two other games. Um, uh, you know, talking with Lad McConkey the week before, he said that he didn't see any rust in JT and thought he looked really good. And 
pointed out that JT was there going over the plays with the team. So uh, I don't I don't think there's any lack of confidence in JT Daniels. I think it's only fair to tell people at media days how it works. And, you know, last week there was a reporter going around asking everybody, do you like Stetson Bennett? Do you believe in Stetson Bennett? Do you like Stetson Bennett? Do you believe in Stetson Bennett? What are they supposed to say? That's not what happened to Nolan Smith, though. That's not what happened. No, that's not what happened with Nolan Smith. But I would suggest to you that that Nolan Smith, um, you know, wants to support whoever's at quarterback and wants to support the team in general. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Nolan said that, you know, the media had, had written and buried Stetson, you know, I, I don't think Stetson had come under that much fire. I think in comparison. Well, to be fair, early in the show, though, you said that a high school quarterback could have made better throws than he made. I mean, no. Would you disagree with that? Those on those two throws? I, I, no, I think that's too. I think that's too harsh. You don't, Jeff. Do you think Gunnar Stockton would have thrown the ball that high and made those interceptions against Florida? Are you telling me he couldn't throw better than that on those well, two plays? Well, on those Stockton two plays. To Georgia. You, you, I was you know referencing. How, I'm two just throws. saying, you know how it's, you know how it sounds. But I mean, well, I would, I, I'm telling you how it looked. I mean, it, they were two horrendous throws. They were embarrassing throws for a University of Georgia quarterback. They were two of the worst throws I've ever seen in a game of that magnitude. He did not play circuit. a game. He did not play a good game, and he said so himself. And that's all I was saying was that on those well, two throws, those were two poor throws. So my my point is this. Uh, I, I don't read into the players liking Stetson Bennett any more than JT Daniels, and I would almost assure you that the receivers would rather see number 18 out there because they're not getting the ball from number 13. The pass-run ratio is much lower, and he can't throw the ball effectively on the perimeter or deep, which is why defenses are bracketing the inside receivers and, and forcing him to throw wide or deep and why George isn't taking those passes. And as Connor said, Todd Munkin has done a really nice job with some of these air raid principles of freeing up some guys and, and, and helping Stetson, even though his completion percentage isn't great, I think he was 10 of 19, it was still better than it would have been uh, with either of the two previous offensive coordinators. So, Connor, sell me on something else for this game on Saturday, because admittedly I'm not in a great mood tonight because of the story we were forced to talk about a little earlier, and – I'm like everybody else. I get a little fatigued by the quarterback thing uh, after a while. Sell me on something else, the game on Saturday. Uh, Yeah, one quick thing here. Steve Sadow is the attorney for Adam Anderson. He has released a statement on behalf of Adam. Uh, Adam denies uh, denies in the strongest terms possible the unfounded and unsupported allegations of sexual misconduct. There are some other details in there as well. In the fairness of just, in the interest of justice and fairness, Adam hopes and prays the UGA community and the public can keep an open mind and not prejudge him based on un, uh, on inconsistent, unsubstantiated, and baseless accusations. That is from the attorney, uh, Steve Sadow, who is representing Adam Anderson. And listen, I so, am, go ahead. I'm yep, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, let, that was me, it. let me just respond to that. I'm 100% in belief that Adam Anderson absolutely deserves a full defense of his side of this. Everyone deserves to tell their story. Everyone deserves to, to, to face their, uh, the accusations against him. And as of now, we don't even know this is going to result in a criminal charge. So um, there's obviously a process that plays out. Georgia from an institutional standpoint has responsibility to take it very seriously has responsibility to protect its institutional reputation. And no one could fault the decision makers of Georgia for doing that. But simultaneous to that, Anderson's got a personal uh, opportunity here to defend himself in the most aggressive way possible. Uh, that's his constitutional right. And you better believe I absolutely support his his right to do that. I'm not going to prejudge 
you know, anything one way or another. And I don't have a problem with him trying to get out in, in, in front of this and, and, and make the case for this. And let's just see where the facts go on all that. But I certainly don't have a problem with, with Anderson getting aggressive here and on behalf of his counsel uh, or counsel on behalf of him getting out the statement. Um, he deserves his right to have a say on this and we'll see how it goes from there. Absolutely. Um, how about the game itself, Connor? Um, anything else beyond the quarterback thing interesting to you for Saturday? It's really hard. I, I mean, not really. Uh, this Missouri team is not good. This Missouri team, dare I say, might be as bad as Vanderbilt was. And they found themselves in a game last week with the Commodores. Uh, they're going to have a backup quarterback out there in all likelihood. Again, this is the worst rush defense in the country. Uh, BA has mentioned this time and time again. I, I think this Missouri team is perhaps pretty clearly the most disappointing team in the SEC. You can maybe make an argument for LSU there, but in terms of expectations, I think a lot of us thought that Missouri was a team on the up and up this year, and that is just so clearly not the case. Now, they're recruiting well. They have a five-star commitment and lose the burden. They have a four-star commitment in quarterback Sam Horn, who plays at Collins Hill. But this Missouri team is just I, – I don't think it's going to be a very attractive repeat game, and it should, like the Vanderbilt game, be over long before halftime. Let me just say this real quick. Georgia Boy 1988 says I'm mad at Mike. I'm not mad at Mike. I actually agree with Mike more so than I disagree with him. Um, I think that Mike is right that JT Daniels is probably the better quarterback for Georgia than Stetson Bennett. I think at some point in time he's got to step on you know the field and prove that, but I think that uh, – he probably is the better of these two quarterbacks. I just think there's a way to talk about it without trashing Bennett because had Bennett not been for Georgia what he has been over the course of the uh, last two seasons, I can promise you Georgia as a program would be in a much worse place. So it's possible to factually agree that, that Daniel's the better guy while also pointing out that Georgia's actually in a pretty good spot because of what Bennett's been able to give them because for most of these games, JT Daniels were led to believe was not an option. It certainly wasn't an option during practice leading up to the game and therefore not going to be an option during the game there as well. So, Mike, you get that, right? I agree with you here more than I disagree with you. I, I agree. I hear what you're saying, B.A. I wonder, though, you know, Stetson only had to throw 11 passes against Arkansas. Could Carson Beck have beaten Arkansas? Would they still be undefeated with Carson Beck? I mean, how much has Stetson really been asked to do at quarterback? Um, I'm, I, I'm not so sure that Carson Beck couldn't have done it also. I don't know. Uh, I think it certainly was the right call to go with Stetson because of his experience uh, from the season before. But I don't know that we've really seen Kirby ask enough of the quarterback to say that, that Carson Beck or, uh, you know, wouldn't have been able to win those football games. He, he didn't look great uh, when he was given the opportunity. But, you know, when we were going apples to apples in the Vanderbilt game, JT scores 35 points in the first quarter against Vanderbilt. Stetson comes in and, as you said, B.A. throws a pick and scores three points in the second quarter. The entirety of the second quarter, he scores three. Same opponent. I'm not trashing anyone there. I'm just stating the facts. Against South Carolina, JT starts out eight out of nine passing, and Kirby puts Stetson in in the second, in early in the second quarter because he said he deserved to play, and he throws an interception. So Stetson hadn't done anything in relief – you know, that was but that Stetson's was numbers for the season are better than JT's. Pardon? Stetson's numbers for the season are better than JT's. Because better of the UAB. It's, yeah, if you take out the UAB game and the Clemson game, you know. Oh, do you think Vanderbilt's better than UAB? No, but if you compare SEC statistics or in the games that they both played, it's not close. 
I don't think it's fair to say that the number three defense in the country, which is Clemson, equates to UAB. Uh, a lot of Stetson's numbers are out of that UAB game when he had a phenomenal performance against a team that forgot to cover the receivers on three passes that went longer than 60 yards. If you look at his SEC numbers, and when I refer to the third down statistics, the three of the 21 third down throws, those are against SEC teams. That does not count his UAB game. JT's nine of nine does not count Clemson. It counts the SEC games. Although JT was, you know, fairly accurate on third down, he wasn't as efficient as he was in SEC performances. And if you go back to last year, JT's numbers were even better, as you said. Now he did he doesn't have George Pickens this year, which I think is a factor. But part of me wonders if Pickens comes back when JT comes back. Um, same with Jermaine Burton. You know, I do think it does play a factor as, as Connor or Jeff mentioned. Well, I've already said I want to see a poster going into the Orange Bowl if that's where Georgia plays in the college football playoff. I want to see JT Daniels as Don Johnson. I want to see George Pickens as Philip Michael Thomas. I want to see them in the Ferrari going to whatever the name of that stadium is now. That's, that's what I want to see the edit being for uh, Georgia going to the Orange Bowl, Jeff. I want, I want to see Miami Vice style with uh, – with, first of all, if JT Daniels came to a press conference wearing a white linen suit with the sleeves rolled up and a Aloha blue shirt underneath, part of me would just think that's the way he's dressed. I'm not even sure I would like like process that as a costume, but uh, I want to see uh, Pickens in the Philip Michael Thomas gear. I want to see uh, uh, JT in the in the Don Johnson gear, and that's the way I want to see Georgia rolling into the to the to the Orange Bowl. <laughs> that's my one request. I don't ask for much in life. By the way, I'm also shadows here too. Let me see if I can. Who do you think is going to look better in the Philip Michael Thomas Don Johnson guard, Brandon? Do you think you think JT is going to look better as Don Johnson, or G- GP one is going to look better as uh, Philip Michael Thomas? I mean, listen, as I said before, and Connor, Connor, I think, agreed with me on this. If if JT Daniels just showed up dressed like Don Johnson, like I said, I, I'm not even sure I would think that was like an ironic choice. That would just be kind of what he you know he was wearing at that point in time. I don't think that would surprise me really at all. Who's Don Johnson? I can't, I can't, I I can't, I know who Don Johnson is. I've seen his work. He was in Django Unchained. He was briefly in um, Watchmen. I know who, I know who Don Johnson is. So I will tell you that when I was a kid, like, and I've said this before, like, I didn't really understand the plot of Miami Vice. Man, I love that show open. I love when they would like play like a cool song, like in the air tonight and they have the, and then have like, you know, Don Johnson driving the Ferrari. It's like, you didn't have to understand the plot as a kid to know that was kind of a pretty cool sh- show all the way around. Anyway, I'm a little bit punchy. This is this is a little bit of a rough night. Um, anybody else got anything they want to say? Before? You want to talk playoff? Yeah, let's do that. You know what? Why not? Why not? Um, so uh, what would y'all think? That's a good idea, Connor. Thank you. Uh, this is fun. We'll, we'll finish on this. We'll go about five hard minutes. We'll take some comments. We'll get out of here. Um, Jeff, what do you think about the playoff top? Just really the whole deal on uh, on Tuesday. What'd you think about it? Well, I guess everybody immediately goes straight to Alabama and how uh, they're just set up to maybe sneak in there with a close loss to Georgia in the SEC championship game. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like the people that are you know clutching pearls, not Jock Peterson pearls, but actual pearls about about Alabama at number two. I, I, I hope they do realize that Alabama is probably the second best team in the country. Regardless, they definitely of what realize. Jeff, you know they realize this. They want the committee to do what they can't do on the field, and y'all know I can't stand Bama. But fact of the matter is, Georgia's made its peace with this a thousand 
years ago. They know the road to the title goes through Bama. Georgia may be ranked number one, but the road to the title goes through Bama. And like the ACC and the Big Ten, the Big 12, all those conferences hope the committee with a stroke of a pen takes Bama out of the running because they're afraid that on the field they wouldn't be able to do that. You know that's true, Jeff. I mean, I think everybody's accepted that fact. Any 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 folks out there that think Georgia's going to get to the natty and get through the natty without having to play Alabama, I think that's really unwarranted. I mean, I think that's just what everybody's expecting in this season. You're going to have to get through Alabama. Alabama's going to find a way. Uh, Auburn might beat them because that's, that's just the way that rivalry is. But you're looking at the playoff and you see where Oklahoma is way, way down there. That's because they don't have any style points whatsoever, despite having a brilliant quarterback talent in Caleb Williams, who's capable of basically doing the Houdini act and winning any game he plays in. Uh, I think the one thing I'm going to really watch closely, Brandon, while we're talking playoffs is what they do with Oregon and Ohio state. Should both schools, should both schools win out. And if one of those is on the periphery between four and five. Yeah, Connor, I want to come to you on that. But let me uh, just get Mike on this for a moment. You know, Mike, I agree with something that Joey Galloway said on TV on Tuesday. With Alabama being number two, which I think is an appropriate rating, certainly in the top four, I think is appropriate. I think it increases the likelihood that they're also still in the top four after the SEC championship, even if they lose to Georgia. Mike, I think I still think the odds are pretty good that Georgia's still going to beat Alabama twice. And I know they'll have two losses, and I know – We've kind of gone around and around about that, but nothing that happened on Tuesday dissuaded me from the point that I've had here for a while, which is this may be Michael Myers. You may have to kill him. You may have to kill him again in the sequel. You just may have to just keep on doing it. Um, and hopefully they finally, the credits roll before that thing raises up again. You just may have to keep on doing it over and over again. I'm fairly convinced that's still very much in play. Yeah. I suppose there's an outside shot, you know, because of this Alliance. Uh, I doubt it though. You know, the alliance is is a game changer, guys. It's basically three conferences saying we're ganging up to go against the SEC and and make sure the SEC doesn't distance itself too much. And uh, a a two-loss Alabama with two SEC teams out of four BA, I think from a political standpoint, it would be too much for the college football playoff committee to overcome. Now, you're right. There may be an instance uh, if Cincinnati were to lose – if Ohio State and Oregon were to have two losses uh, where we're rumbling, fumbling, stumbling, looking for a fourth team uh, with one loss or less, that's a power five conference champion. Maybe Wake Forest loses twice or Pitt upsets Wake Forest. There are scenarios uh, that would put a two loss Alabama team in. But right now, I would still say that would be less than 50 50. All right. So, Connor. Cincinnati, I'm telling you right now, sixth is the highest they're ever going to be ranked, uh, or fifth, whatever they are. Um, Oregon over Ohio State, which I thought was interesting, and at least for now, appropriate. Just anything else from Tuesday night, what was interesting? Yeah, I want to talk about another two-loss team. Uh, B.A. had mentioned them a few weeks ago as a team. He thought they were going to get into the college football playoff. That was Iowa. Do, do we know where Iowa's ranked right now? Do we know So let me tell you this. I'm, I'm going to be a politician here for a moment. I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked, because here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. That as a placeholder, what I said a couple of weeks ago, I still think looks more true than not. I still think we are very much alive for the possibility of two Big Ten teams to play. It was really what the big take that I shared on this show a couple of weeks ago was, that I thought we'd get two SEC and two Big Ten teams in the playoff. And I still think the chances of that happening are still very much true. Now, now, you know, I would say keep your eye on Michigan here a little bit, who I didn't think embarrassed itself in a loss to a Michigan State on Saturday. They come in at seventh 
in the uh, ratings uh, this past week. I think they're still alive here. The point is, is that I think in a very weird year, the weird result we may see is two two-bid leagues in, in, in the college football playoff. And I think, this, I think the Big Ten is still very much alive in that conversation. Yeah, say Ohio State beats Michigan State, and Michigan somehow finds a way to beat Ohio State for the first time in 15 years. I mean, Michigan State would go to the Big Ten title game, maybe win that, though I also think there's a chance Michigan State loses to Purdue this weekend. So it's interesting. As far as Cincinnati – They're they're not a huge favorite. No, no. And, I mean, we saw what Purdue did to BA's beloved Iowa earlier this year. So it'll be interesting to watch there. As far as Cincinnati, I have to agree with BA on this. Whether or not you think they deserve to be in the top four, and I personally do, if Oklahoma's going to get into the playoff again, seven of the 14 first-round playoff games, or I guess semifinals if we want to call them that, have been decided by 20-plus points. Why not give Cincinnati a chance to show that they're at least capable? That way we don't have to necessarily hear this argument anymore. But that's never going to happen under this committee, even as they rotate members on and off. It has been made abundantly clear, and Tuesday night only proved it further. A group of five team is never – under any circumstances, getting into the college football playoff. Because that Cincinnati team has a win over a top 10 Notre Dame team on the road, and it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So this Cincinnati team, I don't you know, I don't care that, they, you know, Tulane, Navy, those games, they could have won those games by 60 points. They're still not sniffing the college football playoff unless somehow every team in the top 10 has two losses. Trevor Maffetone said he's been making a fortune going against my picks this year. I know that ain't true, Trevor, because I can feel what's in my no, wallet. Right. I can feel what's in my wallet right now. So I know for a fact that ain't happening. Uh, but Jeff, to go back to your point, we'll get ready to wrap up the show after this. Um, so I think ranking Oregon ahead of Ohio State's totally appropriate right now. But to me, head to head only matters to a point that if Ohio State does win out, if they're you know beating the the Michigans, the Michigan State teams like that, they're still on their schedule. They get a big win in the Big Ten title game. At that point in time, they will advance their own resume beyond what I think the Oregon can argue for. Now that doesn't mean that Oregon couldn't still slip in as a playoff team somehow, some way. But but it's appropriate to rank Oregon ahead of Ohio State right now because of the unfinished nature of the Ohio State resume. But as they go on this run, they still have good games left against quality Big Ten East foes. That's going to give them the resume edge where the head-to-head win at that point in time is just going to matter a lot less. Mm. You know, I'm not not searching for comic relief on this program right now, but, Brandon, I wonder if there's a Buckeye cover for whether or not one or two of those panelists are dissecting every bad throw from C.J. Stroud, and they're already talking about getting the wonder kind freshman in there, getting the wonder kid in there from uh, Texas because they want to see that guy play. I I mean – how many times have we seen this? I think Connor echoed something. College football's power brokers are going to show us the same thing over and over. It's television. It's entertainment. It's markets. They're going to make the numbers dance any way they need to make them dance to get their four biggest properties in that playoff. Yeah, no, I think that seems to be where it's going. But let's just finish with this real quick. Um, is there anybody willing to make an argument for any team other than Alabama being the absolute toughest game that Georgia could or 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 would play is there any argument that anybody could make here that bama's the the toughest test for georgia along the way to the national championship connor i see you thinking do you have do you have a different answer no because oregon's too inconsistent and while i like their defensive talent uh that offense doesn't frighten you in the slightest yeah 
Ohio State's defense it still has some major cracks, and I was not impressed with what I saw in that game against Penn State. They still had a lot of red zone issues in that game that day, and that Penn State defense is good, but it's not Georgia's level good. Oklahoma, Georgia should be, and I may come to regret this, but Georgia should be salivating if they get to see this Oklahoma team in the playoff. I know Caleb Williams is great, but this is an unserious Oklahoma team there. Yeah. Uh, the you pandemic know, defense they played a year ago is the biggest false, because they were good defense yeah. a year ago. Biggest yeah. false positive in the history of yep. the sport, possibly. Yep. Uh, I mean, you know, Michigan State did some nice things on Saturday, and I was also impressed with Michigan, though, you know, in classic Michigan fashion, they can't find a way to win that game. But I just don't believe that the talent level there is going to stand up over the course of four quarters. It's really Alabama. Now, you're probably going to see them twice, potentially, I think, if, if you know, they're able to find a way to keep that game close. Uh, you know, I think your Michael Myers uh, bit is an appropriate one because we all thought, and one of my buddies a few weeks ago, we were talking about this. So at the time, we thought you were only going to have to, you know, Georgia was only going to have to beat Alabama once. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. Yeah, it's funny. The ESPN folks are acting like on Saturday, the first Saturday in December is going to – or on Tuesday, they're acting like that first Saturday in December is a one-and-done type deal. Just don't think it is. Mike, I'll give you the last word. Is there any argument for a team other than Alabama being the toughest game? And, and, and by the way, we should say it's not even a guarantee that Georgia even plays Alabama this year because, yep. uh, you know, they've lost the last two times they've gone to Auburn and they have to go to Jordan here this year. But if we assume that being a victory right now, is there an argument for any team other than Bama – being the potential toughest game that Georgia could play. I'm sorry, B. I'm reading these comments, and and someone came up with a centel sad. Jeff, did you ever say that a kid was built like a brick wall in a newly built gated community? <laughs> it's a tremendous analogy. I got. I, I got better scriptwriters than that, man. <laughs> it's pretty good. A ba. It right now as things stand because of the. You know, Alabama, the success that Alabama's had seemingly, you know, two of the three wins they had, I think Georgia probably wins 75% of the time under the circumstance. Uh, Bryce Young's mobility is frightening. Um, He hasn't really been turned completely loose. He's a very capable runner. And Adam Anderson now, his status being in the air, we really don't know what's going to happen. I think we said at the beginning of the program – um, that typically these suspensions last. Uh, certainly that's not set in stone, but um, I think because of Bryce Young's mobility, uh, that makes uh, Alabama dangerous. You know, it, if the Ohio State continues to grow uh, and they are good enough to run the table, because of the threats they have on the perimeter uh, and almost because of the unfamiliarity that they have with Georgia and that Georgia has with them, uh, it's been a minute since we've seen a Georgia-Ohio State game. Um, I, I would say Ohio State and Alabama are the two teams left that I believe would be capable. I, I, w- I still don't think Georgia's going to lose another game, to be clear. I think uh, Kirby Smart's team is is all in. Uh, this incident with – or this alleged incident with Anderson aside, I think there's a great commitment there. I think the ceiling – for the offense with JT Daniels, with the receivers that we'll see return in the next couple few weeks, with the way Zamir White is running the ball right now, uh, with the return of uh, Kendall Milton later in the year. Uh, James Cook has played exceptionally well. Kenny McIntosh getting up to speed. Kirby telling us Darnell Washington almost 100%. And 
I don't know how we've forgotten him. Uh, the Georgia offense has, but we haven't. Uh, Brock Bowers is amazing. He's a five or a seven catch guy every game if they decide to throw it to him. Um, all right, cool. Uh, Jerry Doc fans, I'm right with the seat back. Yeah, I, I kind of got laid back here for a little bit. Like I said, I was in a bad <laughs> mood earlier, man. Uh, it's tough to deal with bad news. And obviously, we continue to pray for everybody involved in what is a very serious, serious uh, allegation. And obviously, just hope that um, justice is served one way or, or another on all of that. Um, but yeah, I'm actually happy we're able to finish on such a good uh, note, fun talk. And I agree with Mike that Bama and Ohio State are, in my mind, clearly the two toughest, um, two toughest games that, that Georgia potentially could play. And for me, I still kind of think Alabama is a little more, a little more of a challenge, but uh, certainly interesting all the way around on that. Guys, thanks for letting us finish here on a strong note. Kind of great idea to kind of do a little playoff talk. I'm always up to talk about wild playoff scenarios, and uh, that, that will always satisfy me every single time. Um, by the way, Jeremy says that uh, I drink wine coolers. Let me tell you something. I'll, I'll drink more <laughs> bourbon. There is not a person in this comment section. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's not a person in this comment comment section that i couldn't uh out drink when it came to bourbon or anything like that <laughs> just when it comes to watch me on the on the air just don't let the smooth t- smooth taste fool you okay just don't just don't let that just don't let that fool you and i'll just finish with that all right uh Wait, one start- more thing yeah one last thing we didn't get a chance to talk about tonight georgia is honoring mark Richt on saturday yeah. well deserved second winningest coach in program history the one thing he never did was win a title, but he did so many great things for this program, for this university. What should be a special moment for a, a special individual in Mark Richt on Saturday? Connor, I think that's absolutely right. I, I tell you, it was great to have Terrence Edwards on my show today telling personal stories about that there as well. We obviously heard Kirby Smart saying some of that kind of stuff this week, and I'm glad you brought that up there as well. It's just a really cool thing for him to get. I, I love the way that former Georgia coaches are still so connected to Athens, and obviously – Rick's the kind of guy, you know, even beyond football, and I do think his football career is should be appropriately considered too because I think two SEC championships in 15 years for a Georgia program that broke a 20-year drought before he won that is a pretty good accomplishment. Uh, but certainly he's the kind of man that makes me and others want to be a better man, and that is truly a compliment um, all the way around. And so seeing Coach Rick to get on it, by the way, he'll be at the UJ Bookstore on Saturday there as well because everything must eventually turn into a plug. So um, he will be at the UJ Bookstore signing autographs on Saturday. And so I know a lot of folks want to stop by and see that too. We'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily. Or we'll talk some recruiting there. Obviously big news uh, coming out over the course of the uh, last couple of days related to that. Jeff will give you all the information on that. Mike Griffith will follow the very serious story that's unfolding with Adam Anderson and Obviously, continued preparations for the game against Missouri. Mike and Connor both all over that. I'll see you in Athens on Saturday. And we'll get ready for a, a good win there as the number one team in the country. You don't get very much uh, times in life where you got a, if you live in Atlanta area, World Series champion baseball team rolling into a number one ranked football team. These are truly good times indeed. And so we'll all enjoy between the hedges on Saturday and celebrate Coach Rick and everything else. So have a great night. Thanks for being here for Cover 4 Live. We'll look forward to seeing again. I'm a